good morning. I feel like, in a way, I should introduce myself. My name is Walter. I, uh, we've been gone a couple of weeks. Uh, we were in Oregon, which is really uh, a great time. We were at the Olympic track and field trials, had a wonderful vacation. And I want to really make you jealous and let you know that while we were there, we saw clouds and rain and had cool weather and all those kind of things, all things that uh, we would love to see here. And I would encourage you to keep uh, rain in your prayers. We just came back from Ponderosa Christian Camp, and things are getting pretty dry up there. The, we need rain in Albuquerque, but we desperately need rain up in the mountains, so please keep that in your prayers. I want to give you a Project 6K update. For those of you who don't know, Project 6K is our challenge here at Netherwood Park to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible in 2016, and to date we have read 4,790 books of the Bible Uh, So we are in the middle of July. We're almost to the 5K point. I think we'll probably hit that by the end of this month with still five months to go. Um, So unless we all just kind of like quit reading, I'm pretty confident we're going to reach our goal and surpass it greatly. So good job. Keep up the good work. Keep reading in your Bibles. Keep reporting what you are reading. And we will look forward to celebrating, reaching, and exceeding our goal together soon. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. Father, you bless us way beyond anything that we could ever deserve or earn. Father, help us to be people who open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see just how greatly we have been blessed. And Father, all the blessings that you have given us physically that that we see and we touch and we hear and we feel, Father, they all pale in comparison to the blessing of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent him to this earth so that he would willingly sacrifice himself so that we could spend eternity with you. And Father, help us to never take that for granted. Father, we have a desire to to have a heart for you and have a heart that follows Jesus. And Father, we just pray that you'll give us that heart. And we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So today we're going to kick off a new sermon series. We're calling this sermon series, Say What? Does the Bible really say that? You know, you've probably had this experience like I have this year as you've been really reading through your Bible. You've had one of these moments where you're reading along and you come to a familiar saying or a familiar phrase or a familiar proverb. Something that's really common, commonly quoted, commonly heard, commonly seen around us. And your reaction is, wow, I didn't know that came from the Bible. Or maybe you've had this experience You're certain that a particular phrase or a particular saying or a particular proverb is in the Bible. But when you went looking for it in the Bible, you couldn't find it in the Bible. And the reason you couldn't find it in the Bible is because it's not in the Bible. Even though it sounds like it could be in the Bible, maybe sometimes even if we think it should be in the Bible, it's just not in there. And I think we're all familiar with a lot of those kinds of sayings, a lot of those kinds of proverbs that are out there. For example, where in the Bible do you find this often quoted verse? God helps those who help themselves. Well, it's not in the Bible. You won't find it in there because it's not in there. In fact, that saying, 
God helps those who help themselves is really very much a reflection of our American values more so than it is biblical values. In fact, the Bible teaches that God helps those who recognize that they can't help themselves. Or how about this saying, cleanliness is next to godliness. I'm all for good personal hygiene, I really am. But the pathway to holiness is not paved with soap and shampoo. Contrary to what your mother or your grandmother might have told you, you won't find that saying in the Bible either. Well, those kinds of popular sayings and those kinds of cliches are everywhere. They show up on posters and bumper stickers. We see them on t-shirts and coffee mugs. They're all over Facebook, trust me. But it turns out that many of the things that we kind of assume are in the Bible simply aren't in there. And that can be a problem. It can be a problem because many of the sayings and cliches that are used by Christians have been given the force of Scripture. They've been given the weight of Scripture. They've been used as if they came from the mouth of God without actually being from the mouth of God, without actually being Scripture. There's an old saying, it's usually attributed to Mark Twain, although there's some question about where it really came from. And that saying goes something like this. It isn't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just isn't so that causes problems. Let me say that again. It isn't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just isn't so that causes problems. And that's certainly true of many of the popular Christian sayings and cliches. Often it isn't what we don't know about the Bible that gets us in trouble that causes us problems. What frequently causes us problems are the things that we're sure are in the Bible, that we're sure are the Word of God that just aren't in there, just aren't the Word of God. And the problem isn't that they're just not the exact words in the Bible. See, sayings and cliches that aren't word for word from the Bible can be biblical, and that's fine. They can be true to God's word. can be true to God's word without actually appearing word for word in the Bible. No, the problem is that some of our popular Christian sayings and cliches are not only not, only not in the Bible word for word, they're also not even biblical They're not true to God's word. And when we give sayings and cliches that are unbiblical the force and the weight of scripture, that's dangerous. Trusting something that that we think is from God that isn't from God can lead us down in dangerous paths. It can lead other people down dangerous paths. I was reading on the internet about some epic GPS fails. And it kind of reminded me of this. There was this Swedish couple. They were trying to make their way to the Italian island of Capri. So they used their GPS. And instead of typing in C-A-P-R-I into their GPS, Capri, they instead typed in C-A-R-P-I, Carpi. So instead of basking on the sunny beaches of the island of Capri, They instead found themselves 400 miles off course, and they were in a grim northern Italian industrial city called Carpi. 
See, what happened is they followed the directions that were given to them. They, they thought they were the right, right directions, the directions they thought would take them where they wanted to go. But instead, they had very accurate directions, a very accurate path to someplace they didn't want to go, a very different place. And we need to understand that when we follow those sayings and cliches that are unbiblical, we shouldn't be surprised when we end up in a very different place than where we intend to go. And maybe even more dangerously, we also need to understand that when we offer other people cliches that don't work, when they, we offer them advice and counsel in the forms of sayings that aren't biblical, that aren't from God, then those people are going to blame God for not keeping his promises. And those were promises that he never made in the first place. We know how devastating that can be, don't we? We know how devastating it can be when you put your faith in something that you believe is true, you believe is trustworthy. And then when it turns out not to be true, when it turns out not to be trustworthy, that can be devastating. And it can also turn people away from God, and it can turn people against God. So these things matter. It matters that the sayings and cliches that we follow are true. It matters that the sayings and cliches we offer to others are God's truth. They really and truly are God's truth. So over the next eight weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to examine some popular Christian sayings and cliches, and we're going to ask the question of each one of them, does the Bible really say that? We'll ask, does the Bible really say that God has a plan for your life? We'll ask the question, does the Bible really say that God will never give you more than you can handle? We'll ask the question, does the Bible really say that everything happens for a reason? We'll ask, does the Bible really say that God wants you to be happy? We'll ask the question, does the Bible really say that you shouldn't judge? We'll ask the question, does the Bible really say that you have to forgive and forget? We'll ask the question, does the Bible really say that being good is good enough? And in the rest of our time today, we're going to ask, does the Bible really say to just follow your heart? And I'm going to do something they say that that preachers shouldn't do, speakers shouldn't do. I'm going to go ahead and take all the drama out of this lesson. I'm going to kill any suspense you might have. And I'm going to say right up front that the advice to just follow your heart is not in the Bible. It doesn't say that. The phrase, just follow your heart, and it's cousins that we hear often, just go with your gut, or just let your conscience be your guide. Those sayings that sound like good advice aren't in the Bible. And we like the way those sound. It sounds like that's something that that would be good to do. And we believe it would be good to follow our hearts because we like to believe that we can follow our instincts, that we can trust our instincts. We like to believe that we can rely on our passions to take us where we should go, where we need to go. I think one of the major reasons why we consistently choose to just follow our hearts is because we have this wildly optimistic view of our own abilities. 
We tend to assume that we have it within ourselves. We tend to assume that we possess the ability to consistently choose the right path. We assume that we possess all the moral resources that we need, the moral compass that we need to always choose the good, to always choose the right, the pure, the holy, the noble, the loving path. And you know, that's very human of us. See, humans have a tremendous capacity to overestimate our own abilities. It's known as the above average effect. See, most people consistently judge themselves as superior to other people on almost all personality traits. Individually, we tend to believe that we are more moral that we are more trustworthy, that we're more honest, that we're more dependable, that we're more compassionate, that we're more generous, that we're more self-controlled than other people. We tend to believe that we and our children are all above average in our traits and abilities. And you don't need a statistician to tell you that that just can't be true. And when you read the Bible, you find that the Bible has a much more pessimistic view of how trustworthy our hearts are. How trustworthy our hearts are as guides. In fact, not only is just follow your heart not in the Bible, the Bible really says the exact opposite. See, the biblical view of the wisdom of following our hearts is expressed very clearly in a proverb It's a proverb that you won't find on a bumper sticker. You won't find on a coffee mug. You'll probably never see it on a poster. Proverb is Proverbs 3, verse 5. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, God's advice is to stop trusting our hearts. God's advice is to instead start entrusting our hearts to him, and he will guide us where we need to go. In fact, the consistent message of the Bible is that our hearts are not trustworthy moral compasses. Listen to what God has to say about the trustworthiness of the human heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, God speaking through the prophet says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? That doesn't sound like a very trustworthy guide, does it? We know better than to trust our path. We know better than to trust our future to a deceitful guide. So why would we choose to just follow our hearts? And if that view isn't pessimistic enough, listen to what Jesus had to say about the heart in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. Jesus said, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a person unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what make a person unclean. That doesn't sound like a very trustworthy guide, does it? We know better than to trust our path. We know better than to trust our future to a corrupt guide. So why would we just follow our hearts? Well, I think we continue to trust our hearts to guide us exactly where we're supposed to go because they are so deceitful. 
See, we continue to trust our hearts because our hearts are so good at convincing us that we are on the right path. When in fact, we are way off course. Our hearts are really good at convincing us that we're on the path to the beaches of Capri when actually they're leading us to that bleak industrial city of Carpi. And one of the ways that our hearts deceive us is by giving us complete peace. Our hearts give us complete peace while we're doing something that is completely wrong. Think about Saul. Think about what Saul did. He persecuted the early church and he had complete peace in his heart. His conscience was completely clear while he was doing something that was completely wrong. He had complete peace in his heart. His conscience was completely clear while he was torturing and killing and imprisoning Christians. And his behavior only changed when he stopped following his heart and instead he started following Jesus. I would imagine that most of us can probably think of similar, if less dramatic, examples in our own lives. I can think back about painful times in my half, when I, in my life, when I behaved in unloving ways, when I held unloving attitudes towards individuals or groups. And I did so with complete peace in my heart, with a totally clear conscience. And my behaviors and my attitudes towards those individuals and towards those people only began to change when I stopped following my heart and instead started following Jesus. And there's a second way that our hearts can deceive us. And that's by convincing us that something is right simply because our hearts don't want it to be wrong. That's what led King David down a very dark path. You'll remember he saw Bathsheba and his heart desired Bathsheba. And so he took Bathsheba and he murdered her husband and his heart never once protested. It's what causes people to justify their affairs and justify abandoning their families. They convince themselves that something is right just because their hearts don't want it to be wrong. It's what causes people to say things like, how could God possibly count it wrong for me to just follow my heart? And the only way back from those dark paths is the same path that David took. To stop following our own hearts and once more follow after God's heart. See, God can count it wrong to just follow our hearts because we aren't called to follow our hearts. We're called to follow our God. You see, the problem with our hearts is that they are actually followers disguised as trustworthy leaders. Our hearts are actually disguised as trustworthy leaders. They are not leaders. See, we can't trust our hearts to guide us because our hearts are all too often being led by these untrustworthy guides. Too often our hearts follow our eyes. And too often our hearts respond to our passions. David followed his heart, but his heart was following his eyes. And his heart was responding to his passion. David saw Bathsheba, and she was beautiful. 
David lusted after Bathsheba, and his heart followed right along with his eyes and with his passion. That's the whole point of the Tenth Commandment, right? The Tenth Commandment is a warning against allowing our hearts to follow our eyes. The Tenth Commandment says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The 10th commandment is saying, don't allow your hearts to follow your eyes. And that's also the whole point of Jesus' eye-for-eye warnings. In Matthew chapter 5, it gives us a warning against allowing our hearts to follow our passions. Verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. See, our hearts will tell us that if we want something that someone else has, we should take it. Our hearts tell us that if we are harmed by someone else, we should harm them back. But God tells us that if we want something that someone else has, we should leave it. And that if we are harmed by someone else, we should leave it. And we leave it because we aren't called to follow our hearts. We're called to follow our God. You see, the clear message of the Bible, a message not likely found on bumper stickers or on posters or on coffee mugs or on Facebook... The clear message of the Bible is that our hearts were made by God to be led, not made by God to be followed. And the good news in all of this is that we can discipline our hearts. We can train our hearts to follow God instead of allowing our hearts to follow our eyes and allowing our hearts to follow our passions. So my question for us this morning is simply this. Do you want to have a heart for God? Do you want to have a heart that follows God? And I'm fully convinced that you wouldn't be here today, you wouldn't be in this place today if the answer in your heart wasn't yes. That's the kind of heart I want. I want to have a heart for God. Yes, I want to have a heart that follows God. And I want you to know that you can have that kind of heart. You can have a heart for God. You can have a heart that follows God. You can have that kind of heart, the kind of heart that will lead you to where you need to be. So you can have the kind of heart that will will be led by God. If you will allow your heart to be led by your treasure. Remember what Jesus said in our scripture reading. It's in Luke 12 and also in Matthew chapter 6. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying is that if you want to discover where your heart has been led, then discover where your treasure is. And that's where you'll find your heart. If you want to discover where your heart has been led, then take a look at your calendar. How do you spend your time? Where do you spend your time? And when you answer those questions, guess what? You have just discovered your treasure. 
You've just discovered where your heart has been led. If you want to discover where your heart has been led, then take a look at your bank statements. How do you spend your money? Where do you spend your money? And when you answer those questions, you have just discovered your treasure. You have just discovered where your heart has been led. And if you want to have a heart for God, if you want to have a heart that follows God, then you have to lead your heart to God. And you lead your heart to God with your treasure. If we'll invest our time, if we'll invest our talents, if we'll invest our resources, if we'll invest our calendars and our bank statements in the eternal things of God, our hearts will follow our treasure to our God. And God will become our treasure. So instead of trusting our hearts, instead of just trying to follow our hearts to obedience, Instead of trusting our hearts to be accurate moral compasses, what we must do instead is we must first choose obedience. We must first choose God's path. We must first choose to follow Jesus. And then our hearts will follow, our hearts will be led to Jesus. And we'll find that instead of just following our hearts, we'll just be following Jesus. Because we can't trust our hearts to tell us what is right. But we can always trust Jesus. So I simply want to leave you with this question. What in your heart needs to be led to Jesus? What in your life are you trusting to your heart that really needs to be entrusted to God? I'm going to ask everybody to stand. We're going to say a prayer and ask God to help us answer that question. Then after that, we will sing a song. So everybody, please stand and let's pray together. What area in your life are you trusting to your heart that needs to be entrusted to God? Father, lead our hearts to you. Father, lead us to trust in you and not in ourselves. Father, lead our hearts to Jesus. Father, give us a heart for you. Father, give us a heart for obedience. And Father, give us a heart for those who don't know you and need to be led to you. Father, help us to find those things in our heart that we're holding back from you, that we're entrusting to ourselves and turn them over to you. And Father, that's my prayer in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So I want to leave you by saying, don't follow your heart. Follow your God. I want to leave you by saying, don't trust in your heart. Trust in Jesus. I want to leave you by saying, trust in nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's stand. We are standing. Let's sing. Sing.